Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review that film, we talk about that film's themes, its ideas, its techniques and its styles, and things that it made us think and feel, and try and discuss that from an uh, academic and intellectual point of view, we hope. And as always, we end the show with our further reading, further watching movies inspired by the movie of the week. So hopefully that at the end. Before all that, we always start off with what else we've been watching, the things we've taken time to try and watch or see or read or listen to, or anything we've interacted with in the last two weeks. So Sam, do you have anything of note? Yes, this week I am caught up with a film I meant to watch at the time and didn't get around to it. Um... It was it's the Steven Spielberg film Bridge of Spies, mm-hmm. and it's very good. It's well written, it's well directed, and I always like Tom Hanks, so it was it was well acted as well. It didn't blow me away, but it was. Uh, I'm I'm glad I watched it. It was a nice way to spend an evening. I wouldn't necessarily put it up there as an amazing film, but it it was. Definitely good one to to pass the time. With. Yeah, I I felt the same when I saw that one. It was it was fun, you know. It was it was everyone in it was very good, but it was kind of not forgettable. But I, I enjoyed that, and now I'm moving on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What about you? I have. I'm actually going to recommend a TV series, though it's probably pushing the idea of a TV series a little bit. And that is the very very recent BBC One series, Staged. If you haven't seen this, you know what this is. This is a TV show made in lockdown. So it's made during pandemic lockdown and is about pandemic lockdown. And it is Michael Sheen and David Tennant as two actors, they're playing themselves basically, who are rehearsing a play via Zoom, via online chat um, with the director. And it is an absolute treat of a show they play themselves they merrily spoof themselves and each other there's a real friendship between the two of them as actors that you really sense i was genuinely like crying with laughter at various points um they have some amazing cameos pop up in it some brilliant people kind of giving great support if you haven't seen it, it's very there's six episodes and they're like 20 minutes each so it's a very quick watch but genuinely it was an utter delight of our of our weekend we just came across it on iPlayer having watched Good Omens we found this we watched that and it was just just an absolute brilliant delight and I can't I cannot sing its praises high enough it is adult in its language certainly um, but if you have any warmth for these two actors at all then it is it's a must watch so is it the play they're putting on is that outside lockdown or how, how does that work the play is a real play it's six characters instead of an author which is an Italian comedy but that doesn't matter like the, the, that is the conceit that they're trying to do but it all falls apart really fast you never see the play it's not about the play um the play could really be anything it's about the people um and it's about them and their lives and they play themselves and their wives are in it playing themselves and their kids are in it playing themselves and the other people in it are playing themselves and it's just it's just i, I don't want to say too much because some of the jokes in it really rely on you getting into it, but it's so good. It's just absolutely brilliant. 
I did bury in that conversation there that we have watched Good Omens recently as well, which is the adaptation of the book by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, which is one of my favourite books, which was also brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's not to end, um, but I've just watched Stage recently, so I'm pushing that. Brilliant. Well, we are moving onwards in our heist mini-season this week. Our film this week is the iconoclastic film of historical events, Bonnie and Clyde. easily have been a wild romantic lark but almost before they knew it with the giggles still in their ears they had bloodied up four states Just figured on some easy pickings, didn't you, Frank? You know, Texas Ranger, you ain't hardly doing your job. You ought to be home protecting the rats of poor folk, not out chasing after us. What do you want to do with him then? I... Hang him. I don't know. Ah, uh, uh, take his picture. And then everybody's going to see Captain Frank Hammer of the Texas Rangers with the Barra Gang. Now, you know, we are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. <laughs> hey, Buck. Yeah. Get the Kodak. Ah, right, doggies! Hold it, hold it! That's Bonnie, Faye Dunaway. That's Clyde, Warren Beatty. Bonnie and Clyde from 1967 is a biographical crime film based on historical events, the historical events of the Barrow Gang in the early 1930s, Great Depression parts of the United States. It's in some respects true to events, in other respects definitely not, and um, it romanticises their endeavours and it plays down the efforts of lawmen in particular as one of the ways it changes historical events. It's a 
It was received well at the time. It received Oscars for one of the actors. It had Oscar nominations for almost all of the actors and then Estelle Parsons won for Best Supporting Actress. It won Best Cinematography as well. And it stars Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty and Gene Hatton and Gene Wilder appears in it briefly as well. Um, so, Rob, what did you think? I really liked this movie. Um, it was a real departure in terms of a heist movie in general. I think we can talk to us more about how it fits into the wider genre of heist movies. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I think it is well... I think my word for it here is... So, and it's powerfully made in its own way. Um, you talked previously a bit about, in there about its cultural impact a little bit and how it's challenging the established norms we talked about a little bit last week that this film does a lot of work to humanize uh these bad guys these murderers you know up until the point we've had, we've had rafifi had oceans 11 and these movies don't humanize character particularly and oceans 11 is a bit different but they are charlatans and jack the lads and we like them but they aren't murderers they aren't killers they are just you know gentlemen thieves whereas in this they are they're murderers. They're, 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 they are thieves and violent killers. But the film still stands the time to make you care. And particularly towards the end, and I'm going to dive right into spoilers here, particularly the final scene. You, you're not on their side, but you do feel for them. I think the film really establishes their relationship as one that's caring and them as real whole people. You know, I mean, it, they aren't, I suppose they aren't caricatures of violent criminals this isn't natural born killers you know that this is they are spending the time to get to know these people and even even the sidekicks have their own interior arcs and journeys they go on and all of that and the law enforcement in any ways is the bad guy they are the, the sort of ever watchful antagonists of the movie and whereas Previously, we've seen the cops be a bit bumbling, a bit, you know, involved. in Reef they're not really involved at all, particularly. Um, they're, a bit, they're more kind of, you know, they're easily skirted. They aren't the issue. Here, they really are. So I liked it. It's very of its time, and it's styling. It's a very loose film. It's a very meandering film. Um, it hasn't got that kind of focus that a lot of modern biopics have. But I like that. I, I enjoy going with it. Um, and I just think Faye Dunaway is really, really good as uh, Bonnie, Bonnie and Warren Beatty is perfectly cast as Clyde. I think the two of them have a real chemistry on screen and they bring those parts to life in that way where you can believe they could be the killers, but you also believe that they're real people with real dreams. I'm so glad because I love this film and I, you paused at the beginning and I thought, oh God, he's, gonna, he's not going to like it and we're going to have another disagreement about it and I, I'm, I'm too tired and I can't do that tonight <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just want to enjoy this is a I thought this was a brilliant film um, and I agree with you it's a bit loose and a bit rambling but that's part of its charm um, I think I was surprised actually seeing afterwards that Estelle Parsons was the one who won an Oscar but actually they were all nominated she just happened to be the one who got it um, and I thought Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty absolutely, mm. um, particularly Warren Beatty as sort of like tortured individual sort of that that's become a cliche. But I suppose, like you were saying with Rafifi before, 
these things become cliches through seminal films like this. Mm. And the figure of a tortured gangster is certainly someone that you can see in Warren Beatty and then maybe that follows on from that. It wasn't present in Danny Ocean, for example. No. Yeah, I, I love this film. I think it's... And even from the very beginning, we have the photos being shown and they're shown as slides on a projector and you have the clicks and it's kind of... It's a bit like a documentary mm. and yet it's also a bit like a home movie as well with those, with those clicks and you kind of feel... You feel there's something homely about it and that's... One of the things I want to talk about in this film is this sense of providing a family, providing homeliness. Mm. Um, and I think that's what the film does very well right at the beginning. Yeah, I can. I see exactly what you're saying there. The film, it has a connection that initially Bonnie and Clyde have and they grow this group from there and the brother who joins them. And there is a real sense of camaraderie in the group. And even when they pick up Gene Wilder and the actress who I think has the best name in the world is Evans Evans, who plays his partner. It's a brilliant <laughs> name, Evans Evans. Um, so there's a real sense that that scene particularly highlights the kind of the camaraderie, camaraderie you have with these people, where you go through them together and it bonds them together, and you do feel like they're friends. We talked about this last week a lot with Ocean's Eleven, how you feel the camaraderie of the group. It was very different. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is very not caricatured, but they're very they're, they're personas. You're seeing mm. Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Adrian, you're seeing their people. Here, you're seeing the realities of these lives, and the film takes great pains, I think, to highlight the the problems of the depression. You know, the, the crushing, you know, one of the early scene, the earlier scenes is about a guy who's lost his house, and Bonnie, let, Clyde gives him his gun to shoot the uh, sign and that scene in many ways tells the story of the whole movie it's about him you know striking back and it's this the idea this film has of not the undoubtedly but the nobility of what they do you know when they rob a bank and they make sure a guy keeps his money um and there's a real sense for them the film at least there's a real sense that they are not so much robin hoods but certainly they're only robbing the big guys and that that even that's the thing you can see through heist movies Always, always in like Point Break that we talked about previously, they're robbing the banks. They're not robbing people. They're not robbing individuals. Mm. Um, and that's something I think. I think I, I think we can open a bit more about is this a heist film because we haven't got a heist in that same sense. Mm. But that is a thing that you see a lot in heist movies throughout all of this. Is that you rarely see them robbing people. So and the, I, oh, do you? I would think that. That's something I was I was thinking there about um, moments from one of your favourite films, but the um, scenes in the Dark Knight where you have the Joker interacting with people that he's robbing or the people in the party party that he's holding hostage, and you think that's why he is so scary. Well, that's one of the mm. reasons why he's so scary. That it it is is become a trope that the villain doesn't target individuals; he targets the bank. And then the Joker very definitely isn't. I mean, he is he is targeting those people who are caught up in whatever machination he has going on. Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting point that there compare those two. But I think that's that's for me is one of the highlights of the movie, and that's where the film does that work to put you on their side. Mm. Because you yeah. do, if they were robbing the people, then then that's not that that's a villain move. And yeah. Bonnie and Clyde are not villains here. 
And they do some villainous things, and they do some horrible things, and when they shoot the guy at the bank teller, uh, who's on the car, who, not so much a bystander, but uh, more of an innocent, like, there's a, there's a gut feeling that you do see people die, and there is a element here of viciousness to them. And the film doesn't ignore that either, you know, like, even Ocean's Eleven, the modern version, they're all kind of good guys, you know, there's no real yeah. viciousness to them. Whereas here, there is there's a, a dark current to Bonnie and Clyde the film doesn't shy from, but also shows you everything else. And I think that's, I hate to use the word realism, I think it's a bit of an overplayed word, but there is a, as you said, a documentary style to this that is trying to encapsulate that. And I think that was to its credit. Several things I want to talk about as well. This, I mean, I described this at the start as an iconoclastic film and it was one, I mean, you, I think, spoke about it last week and mm-hmm. as in introducing it, it was kind of something. How, how did you put it last week? I think it, it, it's, I can't remember how I said it last week, but it, it, it's a game changer. And that yes, yeah, that's something. Sense that, as we discussed, it's such a lot last week, Ocean's Eleven, and the what we felt was a slightly poorer ending, that the industry couldn't have the bad guys get away with it. And this film doesn't change that the ending is still a brutal death for them they don't get away with it but it does paint them more as the good guys and it does do a lot of it changes a lot in the industry in its presentation of how we deal with murderers and these kind of people and it says it humanizes them and it gives their story something to tell i mean i don't think this is what this is 69 this movie came out so you're you know the tail end of the swinging 60s um and free love and peace and all of that and that kind of new hollywood era that we're coming into um and countercult is a large part of that and the rejection of traditional morals and traditional structures while bonnie and Clyde is a more violent version of that you can see the link from the hippies to this movie because it is about rejecting their lives you know Bonnie at the start, she works as a waitress. You know, she's got not a dead-end life, but a standard, boring, you know, live-with-a-mum life. And she rejects that in favour of a man. And, you know, Clyde has come out of prison and just get back to it. And everyone they deal with is about rejecting their previous notions. Even Blanche, who, you know, preacher's daughter, she often says she's a preacher's daughter. She's walked away from that life. And this film, in many ways, is about the state's brutal reaction to those who push back against it. And that isn't to say that I'm any kind of Bonnie and Clyde fan, but I think that they are, they were robbers and murderers, you know, that they were those things. But this film is about the overreaction of the state. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you, one thing that I just wanted to highlight, um, which often is overlooked is that is the guns in this movie. Um, and, there's a particular gun, like the Tommy gun, which you see a few times in it, mm. with that traditional New York gangster, the Chicago gangster, Tommy gun. The, the Bugsy Malone, Bugsy Malone gun. Bugsy Malone gun. Big circular magazine in the front, sort of wooden yeah. handles. It's a bad guy's gun. It's a gangster gun. You see Clyde use it at various points in the movie. And all the way through, you see the police using pistols and rifles, the bolt-action rifles. You see that throughout. For all the scenes which you see them, that's what they use. Apart from the very last scene, the very last scene in which they ambush the couple and shoot them, viciously, violently shoot them. And in that, they use Tommy guns. They use his machine guns. And that is the movie showing that they have become the bad guys. They, they, they have taken on the gangster-esque role that they purport not to be. They have laid a trap for a couple, and rather than arresting them, rather than due process and all of that, they just murdered them on the street. 
there's there's something of the melancholy about that scene mm. when you kind of get a shot of Hamer's eyes and you think there's something of the what have I done about this and maybe maybe it's that but you're right that he's he and the the posse have become the bad guys here. Mm. Well, the, the, the love, there's a lovely pat, not lovely, the lovely shot at the end of the movie, the very, very last shot in which they come out of the bush and they walk towards the car, the car pans round, mm. and you see the posse through the broken glass and the bullet holes and all of that, and not one of them looks anything but heartbroken. Yes. They all have this look of just like, what have we done? Or this is like it is a real sense of shame, and I think that that last shot is what sticks with you. That's the, that last scene, the moment in which they realize going on, they just turn to look at each other, and there's a there's a there's a little editing trick that I really like, where they look at each other and it flashes back to you, flick 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 between the two of them, and the very last one of those is on Bonnie, and it's held a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, and she just kind of tilts her head a little bit as she does it, looking at Clyde. And in that moment, that little bit more hold and the tilt, there's a real sense of love, but also of acceptance. Just like, mm. this is what was going to happen. She said in her poem, this is how it's going to end for them. And they were together and they were looking at each other. And I think that there's a real tragic love element to this. And it's, it's this is where I think this film is really kind of weird and powerful and as you say, I kind of classed it just, we're talking about love and the police being bad guys and the emotions we felt towards these robbers and these murderers. And that's where this film power comes from, I think. Um, but yeah, it is such a strange film. And even like, I think these days you couldn't make this film these days. No. And there's, there's a parallel there. There's another, before we stop, I want to talk about sex. Uh, <laughs> not like that. No, but there, there's some. There's there's a there's a scene where they try and fail to have sex, mm. and there's kind of there's a wordless exchange at the end, and it's that same editing pattern that you you were just talking about. And the the final shot is of Bonnie just raising her head and kind of just says so much. She looks at him and 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 what she says, even though she doesn't use any words, is well. Okay, that's what's going to happen right now, but it's fine, and I love you, and we're going to stick with this, and I'm still with you, and it's fine, don't worry about it. And there's so much that gets said with those like nuances, that body mm. language, and it's the same editing technique from the end. Well, I think that's where this film, if we say a little bit, talk about techniques a little bit, you know, this film is in its text obviously revolutionary but also in its style that kind of cuttering cutting is a new thing coming in we often talk about you know mtv style editing which everything's clicking back and forth um and they're very short cuts and we often blame that on music videos and the 80s and 90s but here we're seeing that we're seeing this kind of i suppose non-sequential editing you can see it in the very first very first scene in which we see bonnie hanging around in her room Mm. it's just a couple of shots of her basically hanging around and they're cut where they cut back and forth and there's chime jumps and the film using this to sort of tell having three shots to tell a longer period of time it does that very very well but that is a departure from all the movies prior to that where you'd have a much more traditional classical sense of editing and time in movies which you pan you cut when people talk you cut in the scene this kind of much more intercuts i'm doing motions in my hands here i don't see them but like intercuts all these shots and it does really 
interesting things with that and invents some of this language that we still use today to sort of, I don't know the word for it is, the Russian montage is what it ends up towards, we'll talk about that down the line, but that kind of montage where you're cutting these things together to create an emotional reaction on top of the text. Mm. Uh, now, Russian montages, we have different things, I think, and it isn't that, um, but it is that same kind of montage theory where you're seeing snap, 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 that are three separate shots, or even was three shots the same thing that evoke an emotional, a larger reaction than just the shots themselves would say. Yeah, and one of those emotional reactions you get at the beginning is sense of impending doom and mm. claustrophobia. And one of the things that that quick cutting does at the beginning and that sense of montage is you think it's pressing in you. And like Bonnie reading the poem much later on, this was all preordained and you knew what was going to happen to him right at the start. Mm. Even like the, the first, the very first shot is Bonnie looking through the bars of her bed. Yeah, kind of like bars of a jail cell ish. There's mm. something claustrophobic and horrible and preordained about it from the very start. I mean, we could do a whole episode on that very first scene, but the the even the sort of set dressing that first scene is really well done because like she's obviously wandering around, she's clearly living at home, but it's all these shots you see around like a teddy bear and like childhood stuff is everywhere in her room during that scene. But also she's a you know, good-looking young woman. So there's a element of burgeoning sexuality that comes with it, and so it really creates an image of like this childlike wonder that then goes on to explore and the, the sense of the childlike love she has for Clyde. Like the film, the scene particularly does some really great things with the background elements of just kind of create an image of her being in her childhood home and a sort of aborted life this, this this kind of what we traditionally now put like, like the stay-at-home kids but it feels like a, a life on hold by bringing together her childhood and her adult self one of the interesting things about that is though that she doesn't meet clyde and as a result leave her childhood behind and get sexually liberated mm-hmm. in the way that you think kind of like child of the 60s sort of thing that was going to happen like the, the I'm, I'm just going to go back to the sex here. The the sexual episodes in the film like are, are failures right up until the very end. Like she she stays with Clive in spite of the fact that they. I mean they have this amazing chemistry, mm. but they only don't they aren't compatible sexually. And there's something there's something about that that you think like there's going to be this standard narrative of. Oh, she she was in a, a dead end job, and she well dead end inverted commas. She was working as a waitress, and he took her away, and he liberated her, and everything was fine. And you kind of know it's not going to be like that from the very beginning when you have that scene in the forest. When I mean the, the film kind of goes from north to sixty really quickly because suddenly you've got him shouting at her and saying, "You can make something. You you don't have to be like this." It's that something that patriarchal view that that women need rescuing by the men Mm. um and this film doesn't have that she isn't rescued by him she just chooses to go away with him yeah um and from from their very first interaction she's giving him as much sash as she's getting back yeah um so i think i think you're you're absolutely right there do you have some recommendations for sam i do okay um so first of these is a fade on the way link Faith Arnold is brilliant in this. She's brilliant in lots of things. And the link is a film from a few years later. is Chinatown from 1974. 
and I know the, there have been some various um, conversations around the director of Chinatown, so maybe it's not viewed in good light as it once was, but it remains an excellent film, and Jack Nicholson's performance is brilliant as it so I would recommend that. And my second one is, well, not an actual link, it's more of a thematic link, and um, it's a film from two years later, and must be at least two months since I mentioned this one, so I've just got to mention it again. It's Butch Cassidy in the summer. Um, because I, knew there, I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's slightly at this point, but there is... There is a link here. Some of these sort of tear away, almost slapstick scenes with them sort of hairy across landscapes pursued by cop cars. That sort of thing. It kind of kind of brings to mind the early scenes in Butch Cassidy with um, with the out of control bicycle. It's that sort of thing. It's it's this sort of very slapstick feel. Although there are, I mean, very serious res- resolution that. That that was my thinking behind the I can I can see that. I've also got a film from two years later to recommend, um, and that is the 1969 film Easy Rider, um, which in many ways is the the pinnacle of the counterculture film movement, um, and it certainly writes a lot of the themes that movement large on the screen. But it has that same kind of feel of a bit of a road movie. A, bit of a exploration of themes a bit of character work, it has that same kind of loose baggy style and being the same sort of filmic movement at the time um if you haven't seen easy rider it is a trip of a movie um it's a very it's a film about drugs about culture um and so it's designed to be a bit like a drug strip so it has some weird moments in it but it's also very 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 good uh starring peter fonda and dennis hopper as the main two in that my other recommendation is a film from way later in the 90s um gene hackman pops up as the brother in this and he's very good in this and very recognizable um but he also pops up in one of my favorite movies of a long time and that's 1992's unforgiven unforgiven is a western movie a western movie so good and so powerful it kind of killed the genre for about a decade um it takes all the tropes of clint eastwood bearing in it Gene Hackman appearing with it and takes them to their logical and horrible conclusions. And the film is brutal. The film is vicious. The film is unrelenting in its bleak portrayal of humanity. But it's also an absolutely brilliant movie. Um, and whilst Clint Eastwood has become a certain sort of person in the last few years, he remains an, an excellent, excellent director. Um, and this is some of his finest work. If you haven't seen Unforgiven, then you absolutely have to. And I feel it's a sh- it's a movie that I recommend regularly on this section. Um, and at some point we'll talk about it. But till then, Unforgiven is uh, an absolute must-see. So two films this week by cancelled director. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So that's it, guys, for Bonnie and Clyde. I think both of us um, really enjoyed it. Now, for me, it was my first watching Sam. I don't know if you've seen it before. No, um, no, but both of us new to it, and both of us really liked it. Next episode's film, I think I've seen several times. I can't imagine Sam hasn't seen several times because we're British, and this film is on all the time. And that is the 1969 film, The Italian Job, one of the great classic British heist movies. So we're talking about that in two weeks. Not the remake, nor the remake. Till then, you can find me online at Kaiju FM. You find me at life underscore academic. And you can find both of us at Pretty Podcast. And see you here next time.